Oh, good morning, Hillcrest. Let me try that again. <laughs> um, I just am excited this morning to share with you the uh, fourth week out of five weeks in our Start With Blessing series, and Pastor Kurt helped us get rolling with that. And I'm going to share at the beginning here just a little bit of some of his thoughts that helped us get started on understanding this series and why it's so important to us as followers of Jesus. So, the gospel story, which is the truth about our relationship to God and how that's affected by sin and how Jesus came and lived and died on the cross so we could have God's forgiveness and friendship and leadership in our lives is good news. But it's not always seen or heard that way by people who hear it. Some seem to have what the Bible says are ears to hear, but others hear, but they don't really seem to hear. And the devil's strategy is to blind the minds of people so that they can't see that God is pursuing them with his fatherly love to bring them into his kingdom. There's an opposition to Christ's kingly reign, and a main part of that opposition is, is the condition of our human hearts. And religion is a touchy subject in Canada, maybe you've noticed. And then there's the problem of us as Christians. We often feel awkward or fearful, and despite our best intentions, we can come across as self-righteous when it comes to how we talk about our faith. So at Hillcrest, we strive to see all people reconciled to God and mature in Jesus Christ. Those are pretty lofty words, but how do you begin uh, to see those things come to be? How do you start to do this? How do you engage other people who don't know Jesus yet? And how did Jesus train and instruct people to do this? What was his strategy, his strategy for sharing the good news so that people would receive it as good news? And that's what we're talking about all of these five weeks, and that's what I'm talking about today. So let me read to you from... Again, from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 9. It says, After this, the Lord Jesus appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And when you enter a town and are welcomed, Eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So it's four simple steps that will change you and change the spiritual atmosphere around you. So far we've learned that we need to start with blessing. I mean, that's the whole theme of the series. Start with step number one. If you don't do that, the rest doesn't really work. It doesn't really flow. Start with blessing. So in this case, the blessing that they were given to say was peace to this house. Or sometimes I'll use it when I'm talking to people. I say, I want you to do well. I want you to, I want you to flourish in life. I want things to go really well for you. Um, there's lots of different ways you can say it. But start with blessing. Have a desire for good for them. And the con- there's, a, there's a, uh, another word we used last week to, to really uh, remind ourselves what's the opposite. Well, the opposite of blessing is blasting. Right? You see people and you, you see stuff that they're doing that you don't like and you just want to blast them. You want to give them a piece of your mind. Start with blessing is a better approach, obviously. So bless and don't blast. Then the next one is spend time with them. So that involves staying there, eating and, and drinking with them, and not withdrawing. So spend time, don't withdraw. Now, we live in a hurry-up culture where we're always on the go, and as followers of Jesus, we're no different. We don't always have time for people. But hurry is, is the enemy of deep, significant, loving interactions. And so we, we spend time, and we don't withdraw. Then the next one is meet felt needs. Meet felt needs. That's the one I'm going to talk about mostly today, so I won't give it a lot of time right now. But you see the words in there, heal the sick. 
And uh, we'll get back to that in a little bit. And then the last one is share Jesus, proclaim the kingdom, proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near. And Pastor Kurt is going to lead us through that one next week. So Pastor Kurt had challenged us to pick one name and start praying for them. Start there. Start with blessing someone in prayer. Before you talk to them about God, talk to God uh, about them. And talk to God about them in a positive way. God, I want good for them. I want them to do well. And uh, I want them to be blessed. And ultimately, I want them to be blessed with relationship with you. What if every person in our city was adopted in prayer? I mean... There's a lot of people who might not ever come to a church building, but the people of God are all over this city. What if It's not too impossible to believe that at some point, every person in this city could be adopted in prayer. Somebody speaking words of blessing over their life. In fact, I said last week, people are hungry for blessing. So people speaking the words of blessing that that are believing a good thing for their future and proclaiming it in prayer. Jesus brought the kingdom near to us, and he's called us to bring that same kingdom near to others. Now, I must say, it's more than just four steps. It's a lifestyle that changes the spiritual atmosphere around us and around the people that we are blessing. So, each of us was created by God to enjoy a relationship with him. You were separated from him by sin, but God sent his own son to die on the cross to eradicate sin without it destroying you. He came to rescue you so that you could be with him forever. You were adopted into his family, and you get to play your part in seeing his kingdom advance until the kingdom comes. Now, let's just back right up. We're starting with blessing. Someone pointed out a really good uh, thing to me last week. They said, well, uh, blessing is hard. You need the power of God. And so I'm going to just back up a bit, and then we'll press forward again. Blessing is a lot like forgiveness. I said that last week. Instead of treating people according to what they deserve, forgiveness means we treat them differently. We give up our right to have revenge against them, but we treat them like Jesus has treated us. And how has he treated us? He hasn't treated us as our sins deserve, but he's shown us mercy, like the story of the Good Samaritan, who was who was a good neighbor because he showed mercy. So if we want to be good neighbors, like Jesus, who shows mercy, to, and like the Good Samaritan, the story he told as the example, then we need to show mercy to our neighbors. So that means we forgive. We forgive. And we bless. And in every time we teach on forgiveness at Hillcrest, it seems like we always end up talking about blessing at the end because that's the progression from giving up revenge to embracing our new role of loving our enemies, uh, blessing those who curse you, praying for those who despitefully use you. Those are all the words of Jesus. And so we, we adopt that. Blessing is a big part of forgiving. Another way that blessing is a lot like forgiving is it's really hard to do. Have you found that in your life? Have you found forgiveness near impossible in your life? And so have I. That's been my experience. When I am rip-roaring mad at somebody, when I'm deeply resentful, I find it very hard to give that up. But that's another way that blessing is a lot like forgiving. I was reminded of that this week. Someone said, man, your sermon last week was good, but just one thing I would have added, and that's just that we need the power of God to forgive. And I said, that's great. I thought I made a mental note, and I thought I'd offer that to you this week. If you want to tack something on to last week's sermon, you need the power of God to forgive. When you say, I can't forgive that person, Call out to God, God, would you, you, God, you know how to forgive. You forgave the people who were killing you when you were dying on the cross. And so you can forgive perfectly. I can't. Help me forgive today. And he will. He will help you to forgive. And it's the same with blessing. Jesus requires of his followers that they bless those that curse them. That is super hard to do. And so we need the power of God. And so we cry out to God, God, help me to bless that person that I don't feel any warmth towards. Help me to speak uh, words over their life and their future and their present that are positive and that are, uh, that are uh, life transformative. Help me to bless. So we are following the example of Jesus. We forgive like Jesus did, but we're also called to bless like Jesus did. So today I want to talk about 
I'm going to make a, a jump here uh, today. I'm going to talk about meeting felt needs with good deeds. Meeting felt needs with good deeds. This was the teaching of the early church. 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans. Now that sounds like an insult, but that's just how they reference it. Basically, people without God in their lives. Live such good lives among people without God in their lives that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So that was with the teaching of the early church. Live good lives among the people that are your neighbors so that uh, they'll see the good deeds. And the end game is to glorify God on the day he visits us. And this is, where did they get this from? Where did the early church, did they sort of drum this up? This is a good way to live in, our li- live in the culture that we live in? No, they based it on the teaching of Jesus who said in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, you are the light of the world. Now he's, he's saying that to his followers. You are the light of the world. God had made them a light. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, the same thing. Do good deeds for the same reason that they glorify your Father in heaven. Seeing your good deeds is not the goal. Seeing your good deeds is not the goal. The goal is that others will see how great God is and glorify Him. Seeing your good deeds is just a means to the end. And the end is that people would be satisfied in their relationship with God forever. So just a few minutes. Now I know this for absolute fact that seeing your good deeds is not the goal because when Jesus spoke those words we find in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, just a few moments later, he talked again about seeing good needs, but it's in a totally different light. Let me read you that part. And it sort of go, these go together to help us understand how to live. It says, so when you give to the needy, oh, good, people are going to see their good, need, good, their good deeds, right? So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. And then it shows their reason why they announce it with trumpets. It says, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So now you might be very confused. You say, am I supposed to do good deeds so they'll be seen? Or am I supposed to do good deeds so they won't be seen, so they'll be hidden and in secret? And I think the main thing to gather out of this is that what are you doing your good deeds for? What are you doing them for? Are you doing it so that this is part of a progression? You're, you're caring for people who you hope someday will, get, will receive from God what you've received from God. His forgiveness, his friendship, his leadership in your life. You hope that someday they are blessed with those things. And so you're caring about them and you're meeting needs in their lives. Is that the purpose of the good deeds? Or it is it so that you will be seen as a good person? that you will get lots of credit, that people will see what you're doing and uh, they'll give glory to you. Glory to God or glory to you. There's two rewards. Jesus talked about them. To be honored by others, that's one reward. And Jesus said, don't live for it. Don't live to be honored by others. And then the other reward, he says, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Hmm. Two rewards, but only one for the followers of Jesus, and that's the reward of the Father. And so, I think I love that. Do not announce it with trumpets. Uh, we don't exactly do that today, but we have other more effective means than trumpets. I mean, we have social media, and we have all sorts of other ways that we can point to, I'm a good person. Look at me. And uh, it's easy to slip into that trap of, being honored by others. I find it difficult myself. I'm just admit that right up front. It's difficult. I was reading uh, some commentary on this by John Piper, and I thought it was really good. He has this, um, I'll just read it. He says, he says, the eternal well-being of the person, of the person in, uh, back it up, the internal well-being of the person in worshiping, being part of the worshiping family of God is the goal of all our good deeds to them. We want their temporal needs to be met so that their eternal praise would go to God. That's the great goal. 
Christians are never merely public do-gooders. We do not want to be known as merely public do-gooders. We want people to know God, love God, serve God, glorify God, be saved, and be with God forever. This is the great passion of mercy ministries and justice ministries. If it's not, we're probably being politically correct in order to win the praise of whatever group we happen to prize at the time. And then he goes on to say, let me sum up Jesus' teaching on this in Matthew 5 and 6 like this. We should be deeply content with the reward of God. And what is the reward of God? It's knowing him, loving him, and treasuring him as supremely satisfying and glorious. Number two, we should not crave the praise of man because God himself is not enough for us, which is what our craving shows, right? We say, man, I really need the, the praise of people. Well, that is probably indicating that it, it's sending a message, right? That God's not enough. I mean, God's good, but I, I also need uh, the praise of people. Number three, we should avoid ways of showing our goodness or showing good deeds that aim at getting praise from other people. If that's the goal, uh, we're not leaning into the, the kind of life that God wants for us. Now, this is tricky. It's not always black and white. It's fairly nuanced, and I'm easily deceived in this area myself. I think, man, I'm just really doing something good for God. And then I come to think about it a bit more. I think, I don't know, maybe I just did that for me. So it's, it's tricky, and we should all acknowledge that. But here's the last one. We should genuinely love people. We should genuinely love people, which means both doing good things to help them practically, materially, and for temporary needs that just exist now and aren't eternal. We should, we should care about those things and meet those needs. But, and we should also passionately desire that through these good things, they would come to worship God and give glory to him. So this isn't about, I, want, I need to say this clearly because we can get off on this on the wrong track. This isn't about turning our neighbors into projects. It's about being transformed ourselves so that we begin to love people like God loves us. I love how Pastor Kurt has been signing a bunch of his emails lately. He says, since he is for me, I am for you. And I think that's an incredible summary of what the Christian life is meant to be. If God is for me, if God has not treated me according to my sins and what I deserve, but he's actually given me mercy in that area, and then given me overwhelming grace into giving me things I, I didn't deserve, not only not giving me what I deserve, but giving me things I do deserve, that's mercy and grace, well then, what does he want out of me? He wants me to reflect that in the world. He wants me to be for people who also don't deserve God's mercy and grace. He wants me uh, to be passionately for them. Since he is for me, I am for you. If your neighbor never turns to Christ, you are still called to love them like God loves you. And I think that's the great, it's very important because you don't want to turn people into projects. You don't want to say, well, I'm going to do step one, two, three, four, and then this will result, and then, oh, it's not resulting, I'm sort of, and do discard people. Uh, we're called for a long haul, and remember, remember the story of, I think it was George Mueller, who prayed, had an incredible prayer life, prayed for people his whole life, and uh, never saw many of his acquaintances come to faith in Christ. But a number of them actually came to faith in Christ at his funeral. So he never witnessed, he never saw his whole life the results that he was hoping for. But he continued to invest in those things in good faith, loving people, and in praying and blessing them. And there were results that he never got to see. So do your deeds glorify God or glorify you? Do people think that you are good or that God is good? I, I, this week I officiated at two funerals and uh, got me thinking about my own funeral. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that that'll be several decades in the future, but if God decides to interject in my life and call me home, I'll have no complaints because that's, that's the best outcome by far. But at my funeral, please don't tell people that I was a naturally good guy. I think it would be more important to tell the truth. I know what kind of guy I have the potential of being without the ongoing work of God in my life. I know that. Without God, I'd be a self-centered train wreck. I see evidence of it even with God in my life. But thanks to God, he has prevented 
many train wrecks in my life, and he's also uh, helped me to love others. I don't do it purely, but I recognize that the love that I have for others, that when I'm loving the most purely and at my best, it's, because, he, it's his, because I'm reflecting his love or he is loving through me. I also, my mental health is undergirded by knowing that I'm loved by God, knowing that I'm forgiven by God, and knowing that I belong to God forever. It's not that I have such a strong grip on life and that I can hold on to God because I'm that strong. It's actually been the reality that he has such a strong grip on me that there's been that stability and that foundation in my life. So the hero of my funeral must be Jesus, who gave himself for me so that I could have eternal satisfaction in relationship with him. So please, if any of you are officiating my funeral, just remember those notes and pass them on. I really want people to be pointed to Jesus, who is the hero of my story. So we're meeting felt needs. This is this week's point. Meet felt needs. And the, there's, a, there's a tagline we like to put on it. Meet felt needs. Don't judge. And you say, what? Don't judge. What's that, what's that part about? And it could be tricky because don't judge means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Let me try to tell you what I mean by it. If, if you're taking spiritual ownership, <laughs> that's an interesting phrase, of the people in your sphere of influence, you're basically saying, these are my people. These are my highly valued people who God loves and who he died for so that they could have a relationship with him. So you're saying, I'm adopting these people spiritually I'm really investing, I'm blessing, I'm, I'm looking to spend time with them, then it makes sense. You've started with blessing, you've continued with spending time with them. As you go, you'll probably discover where they hurt. You'll probably discover where life hurts them the most. Maybe at the beginning they'll only tell you little bits, but if you continue to spend time with people, it'll start to leak out. So, you might have this conflict, though. You say, well, what if the felt need that they have in their life, that's where they hurt, their felt need, they feel it the most. What if that felt need is not their real need, right? I would say that most people, when they're sharing where they hurt in life, they're probably not going to start out with saying, I have a void in my life, and I feel like God is missing. Probably that's not where they're going to start. They're going to say, my boss is this way. My ex-wife treats me like this. My kids don't listen. My leg hurts. I got a report from the doctor. I can't make my bills. I hate the other neighbor. <laughs> you know? This is, they'll tell you where they hurt. They'll tell you where they hurt. And you know what? You, your tendency could just be to, to say, well, let's just slide that to the side and let's talk about your need for God. Let's talk about how God desires a relationship with you. And I know I've sometimes done that in, uh, in relationship. I, I shared this a couple weeks ago. I was with someone and meeting with them for some counseling. And I kept, like I tend to do, I kept pointing back to their need for relationship with God and how important it was uh, for them to uh, receive from God his love and reflect back to him. And anyhow, I was, kept going back there, kept going back there. But where did they go? They kept going to a physical um, a physical affliction in their life. So they kept saying, well, my health isn't well, and I, they struggle, and things are difficult, and they kept coming back. And after a while, I came to realize, if I'm going to love this person well, I have to actually address their felt need. I actually have to be listening to where they say they hurt the most. And so I did at a certain point say, stop myself and go, okay, 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 you keep telling me about this physical need in your life, and I'm not a doctor, and I can't prescribe any medication, but I can pray for you. So could I pray for you? Would you be open to that, to pray for this? That's all I can really offer, because it's all I, I have expertise to offer. But I'd love to see God heal this area in your life where you are hurting physically. So for me, that was a reminder. Again, I could have judged them and said, well, they think their felt need, they think their felt need, which is, uh, their physical infirmity, is their ultimate need. And I know that their ultimate need is to know Jesus. But instead of being judgmental in that way, I just wanted to join them. I chose to join them, uh, thankfully, in that area where they hurt the most. So meet felt needs and don't, uh, and don't 
Don't jump to the judgment of saying, well, their felt need is really illegitimate. You might be surprised what people would say is felt needs. You'd think, that's not a need. But you know what? If you jump in that with them and to help them meet needs in their lives, um, then you'll be loving them well. So when they share a felt need, meet that need. Or if that felt need can't be met with your resources, meet it with prayer. So it might be just they say, well, I, I don't know how I'm going to make it to the next paycheck. And you might have the financial resources to help them make it to the next paycheck. That might be it. Or you might realize that there's more there, right? You know, that they're always needing help to get to the next paycheck. So maybe they need a bit of coaching, right? Maybe they need a little bit of help in how to manage their finances or encouragement and tell them some of the best practices they could, that they could use. Maybe that's where you go. But you're helping them meet that felt need in their lives, can we always be available? Can we, can we be available to show up in people's time of need? Can God provide enough for us to be this for people? So when, if you want to su- succeed in this, you've got to look at two things. One, you've got your resources, you know, whether that's money or things that you have that you could lend or bring into their lives, or, or just even your resources might be things you know. But then the other thing is don't leave out the miraculous. Don't leave out the miraculous. Do you remember how we got to this? Meet felt needs. I, I don't remember reading that in the text. Well, let me read you the line that we've used to jump off onto meet felt needs. And here it is. It says, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. So you've said, peace to this house. Come eat with us. Yes, I will. Let's spend time together. And then they say, I'm sick. And it says, heal the sick <laughs> who are there. And then tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Wow. So here's the thing. For some of you who say, I, I'm, I'm game for the meeting felt needs, but heal the sick? That one is a little more daunting. Uh-huh. So I, I'm going to share a little bit about healing the sick. And that's sort of how I want to uh, end our time together here, talking about this aspect of things too. So if you, there's some needs you can't meet, just like I had in that experience when I was counseling that person. Some needs you can't meet because... You, you might not be a doctor. You might not have any ideas of what kind of vitamins to take. Or maybe there's something that some medica, medicine and vitamins and even doctors could not address. So what do you have left? Well, you're not without resources and you have the resource of prayer. Now, you might say, well, have you seen a ton of people get healed in your lifetime? And I would say, no, I haven't seen a ton of people get healed. But I have some stories. I have, some, I have seen some stuff, and I have lots of friends who've also seen some stuff, and so I do believe in, in healing. Um, I'll try, just let, share a few things with you. I had a co-worker named Keith, and his migraines, his migraines were his felt need. In fact, he would, uh, he would talk about his felt needs uh, quite a bit. He would talk about how his head was hurting when he'd come to work, and it was really hard to do his work. And uh, anyhow, he got prayed for, and his migraines disappeared. They went away, and they never came back. Now, I knew they were severe. He had a huge bottle of T3s with codeine above his fridge in the, in the kitchen. And I worked with him every day. And so when he went from migraines all the time to no migraines, after prayer, I knew he had been healed. Very few other people would know that he'd been healed. He could tell his story and they'd say, yeah, maybe you're just making that up. Maybe you're trying to make God look good or something like that. But I knew the truth because I went from hearing about his migraines to never hearing about them again because I work with him every day. Uh, then there was Nancy. Nancy actually, she was healed right here in this church. She uh, had a diagnosis of fibromyalgia and so she had very little energy and uh, she was here visiting, actually, in this church with her teenage daughter. And her daughter said, Mom, at the end of the service, it was at the end of the, our, our time together, and she just said, can I just take you up to the front and pray for you? Now, it wasn't that a bunch of pastors and leaders or anything prayed. It was just a daughter praying for a mom. I just want to pray for you because I know you have no energy. You, you, you couldn't continue in your career because of your lack of energy, and I want to pray for you. So she came up, and just at, at the front, in fact, right over here, right by where my phone is dinging, she prayed, she prayed for her mom. And you know what happened? She went home, and she was like, didn't want to tell her daughter, you know, you know that probably, you know, she didn't expect much, but she went home, and she woke up the next number of days with energy. And she's sort of like, okay, wait, I'm just waiting for this to sort of subside. I don't know where this has come from. And it was like 
days went into weeks and then into months, and then she started to have the courage to tell her daughter. You know when you prayed for me? Ever since then, I have an abundance of energy, and I haven't had that for years. And I'm almost scared to say it, but I think something happened. And sure enough, she's gone on from that day forward to have an abundance of energy. So much so that she was getting sick of hanging out at home, and she had to get back into her career because she needed something to do because she had so much energy. Uh, some of you have heard my funny story about praying for not just healing, but for inanimate objects. And some of you have heard my story about praying for someone who had a MacBook that wouldn't charge and the little light wouldn't go on. And I to I've told this story many times in the church, but basically it was a weird scenario. I thought, boy, this is not what I expected, but it was their felt need. They only had one and only laptop. They were far from home. It was their only computer, their only way to connect. It was their felt need. Where they hurt was the fact they couldn't use their computer. And I remember sort of feeling like this is a very weird scenario. I'm putting my hand on a MacBook to pray that it would be fixed or healed. I don't even know what category it is. And I remember, but I, I remember sensing that nudge from God that I was supposed to do this. And I remember thinking, God, you put me in some very weird situations. And I don't know what this person thinks of me right now, but when I put my hand and I prayed, God, would you help uh, would you fix or heal? I think I actually said heal because I was just in the habit. Uh, would you heal Cynthia's laptop? The light came on and it started to work. So I've had some very interesting stories and things that I've seen. So have my friends. I just spent a little bit of time with one of my brothers. I have five brothers, and this brother I was spending time with, at one point he was part of a downtown ministry in the city of Saskatoon. And there was a, a season in that ministry where they saw lots and lots of healings. Lots of people. So it got so much so that they just started like anything that they could find that would be sort of an indicator of that someone was healed, they'd tack it to the wall. And so they were like, they had casts they were screwing into the wall and, you know, people's, you know, other different things where people said, here's my medication, I don't need it anymore. So they put the prescriptions on the wall. They just started attaching things to the wall because God was beginning to heal. And he was telling me some stories just a couple days ago. And it was just really building my faith to hear about uh, all the things God was doing. A little while ago, I started a group. Um, uh, a good friend of mine in the church, he has a passion to see healing stories be medically authenticated. And I love that about him. And so I said, well, let's try to get a few people together to share their stories, and let's find out which ones of them have actually gone further to get them medically authenticated, these healings. And so I, I, I reached out to nine people. Three of them lead in um, Christian ministries where they've seen a lot of healing. So I thought they'll have a lot of stories, and maybe they'll know some that are that, where they've gone further and got that kind of authentication. And then three of them uh, were people I knew that they themselves had been healed. And so I thought, well, maybe they personally, when, in their story, can say, well, here's my documentation, here's, here's my diagnosis from my doctor about what I was sick with, and now here's the evidence that I'm I'm not healed, so I, I reached out to them. And then the last three I reached out were just three Christian doctors in town I happened to know. And I, all, I knew all of them pray for their patients at some point. Not every visit. I don't know if that's always even acceptable. But, but when they have the opportunity, it's okay. They, do, they take a time to pray. So I had three doctors, three, three people who are in ministries have seen a lot of healings, and then three people who have experienced a radical healing themselves. I'm going to share just a few of their tidbits of their stories, just tidbits, okay, of the things that they shared, and most of these are actually uh, from doctors, okay, so doctors writing, so, so it's interesting, doctors are men of science, men and women of science, right, but they've also seen uh, the hand of God, right, so one story was about a, a baby, and when they were doing the ultrasounds, it's before the baby is born, they've done ultrasounds, they saw that there was this enormous tumor, well, enormous for a baby, because the tumor took up half of the lung cavity on the one side. And uh, so they were getting ready for this birth, but praying for this baby. And then when the baby was born, gone. Tumor completely gone. Took up half the lung cavity. It was gone. No, no, no sign that it had ever been there. So that was one of the doctor's stories. Another one about cancerous lumps that turned benign after prayer. Baby seizures that were stopped when the medication wouldn't stop it, but they prayed, and then that baby seizure stopped and brain damage was averted, and that that person is now living a healthy adult today. I love this one. Uh, one of the doctors said that they had a father-in-law who, when he was young, he fell off a wood pile when he was six years old, and he punctured his leg with a branch, and it turned into an infection. And this is before antibiotics, because this is his father, so it was, it was like World War II era. There was 
it was pre-antibiotic days in that nation, and so the infection went into his bone. And he developed a chronic bone infection which disabled him enough to get him a medical deferment in World War II. So he didn't end up going to the war because he wasn't well enough and because of his leg. And um, every year he'd go to Saskatoon for an operation to scrape the bone and take the pressure off. Every year. That was, that was his life. But then he went to a church meeting uh, at a church called Elam in Saskatoon. And when he was there, he was instantly healed and never had to go back and have the bone scraped for the rest of his life. And he just worked like crazy on his farm. He, was, he could outwork everyone else. Uh, he had a huge scar on his leg to indicate that, he, you know, because obviously he'd been, he'd been um, treated there many years. But he lived to 91, and he was an incredibly hard worker, and that never slowed him down again. That was, these are great stories, great stories that I loved hearing. Did you know that in the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is wonderful, it's the stories of the early church. And healing was a huge thing in the early church. Do you know that out of, there's about 40 different things you'd say where the power of God was really poured out on people's lives, whether they were healings or, or some other dramatic thing of the power of God. Do you know that 38 of those 40 significant power type, power of God events, they didn't happen in the church. They just happened in the community. You know what? When I pray for someone in the church, I totally believe that God could heal them, and I, I believe in faith that he, he may heal them. And I pray, try to pray with faith, believing in a big God who has the power to heal. But you know what? I've started to almost have a, another second... Uh, when I pray for someone in the community... I almost feel like I have more faith in that. And that's weird because I'm, lots of times I'm praying for people, they don't, you know, they don't uh, accept Jesus as the leader of their life. They haven't received his forgiveness. They don't have a relationship with him. But you know, it's very funny that something's happening inside of me where I feel more um, faith rising up in me when I'm praying for someone in the community who maybe doesn't know God. In fact, just the other day I was in a waiting room. This is Two days ago, I was in a waiting room, and they had everything uh, sort of half cordoned off for COVID, right? So you could only sit in half of the seats in this waiting room. And then you had to be social distanced six feet. So if there was a bench, you could be on one end or maybe the other end and face opposite ways. But really, there was very little seating. And so I walked in there, and there was another guy who walked, a big towering guy who walked in there too. And we looked around, and there was practically nowhere to sit. And I looked and looked, and then very, I had, way at the back of the waiting room, there was a spot I could see. Oh, I can go sit there. So I went way to the back of the waiting room. And um, he was sort of exasperated, and so he looked around, and he, he just, just figured there's nowhere to sit. And so he just decided to sit in one of the seats that was cordoned off and you're not supposed to sit on. Well, it wasn't long before I heard a kerfuffle. And uh, here he was being escorted to the back where I was <laughs> in my area, just a little bit uh, around from where I was. And uh, I could hear that things weren't well. I couldn't hear the conversation, but I could hear that there was some, some uh, dissatisfaction. And so after the person who had escorted him there walked away, I came over and I said, uh, what's up? And he said, all I did was cough. Now, I and he were both wearing face masks. So, you know, that should be good if you cough. But he says, all I did was cough, but then everybody wanted me out of there, and they escorted me to here. And I said, oh, okay. Yeah, I said, I said we're, you know, we're, we're being careful about stuff like that. I sort of get it, you know, and whatever. I was trying to be sympathetic. And, uh, but then he said, uh, I don't even care about this crisis. And I thought, oh, well, that's pretty cavalier. Like, I mean, most of us have cared a lot about trying to be healthy and all those things. And then he says, I don't care about these crises. I've only got five to 11 months to live. I thought, oh. In fact, he said, well, that's not true, actually. The doctor said I had five to 11, but he contacted me this week and said it's five, not 11. So I said, oh, so what are these next five months about for you? He says, I'm just going to try to visit everybody I ever knew. So he's traveling around, wearing his mask, trying to see family and friends for the last five months. So where he hurts became really apparent to me. Now for me, I was just, then I was like, Lord, what are you doing here? I don't know what the end game is here, but I'm going to, you know, right away I started like just silently, Lord, bless this guy. Could you 
do something in his life. I, we want, I want good for this guy. Help me to play the role that I'm supposed to play. Well, I didn't know what kind of role I was supposed to play totally. I just was on an adventure with God. And uh, so then I'm listening for, for his, I'm hearing his story. That was mostly what I did, was I heard his story. And I'm trying to think of meet felt needs. If there any felt need comes up, how do I meet it? I don't know what I could possibly meet. At one point, though, he said, because we both had our masks on again, so that nobody else was alarmed by our, you know, <laughs> everyone's wearing masks in this area. And, and uh, he said, um, man, with a mask on, you can really tell how bad your breath is. That's what he said to me. And I was so excited because I had gum. And I was like, oh, yeah, would you like some gum? I was, just, I was so zoned in on this meat felt needs that even the opportunity to give someone a piece of gum just seemed exciting to me. Like, I was like, hey, do you want a piece of Yeah, thanks, man. That's great. Anyhow, we ended up having a really good conversation in that time. And uh, the conversation basically was me listening, offering the hospitality, the simple hospitality of listening. And we listened for quite a while. And... Um, and then it, the more I listened, the happier we got. At one point he said, hey, I want to take a picture of you. So he took a selfie with me and him. And I said, I want to take a picture of you. So I got a selfie of me, of me and him and stuff like that. And then uh, he saw I had a book in my hand. And he said, what are you reading? And this is getting to the very end. Like very, there's just made, you know, moments left before uh, we're going to be separated because of, you know, the next thing is happening. He's getting picked up. I'm getting picked up pretty soon. And, he, and I said, well, it's a book. I showed him the book, and I said, it's about praying. It, I'm trying to learn to pray for other people. That's what I told him. And that's the truth of what the book was about, but that's really what I wanted him to know. I'm trying to learn how to pray for other people. And he said, oh, okay, that's interesting. He said something about the power of nature or something. And then we moved on, and our time together was basically done. So he's getting up to leave. His sister had come to pick him up, and my wife had come to pick me up, and we're pulling away. And I'm like, so I went back and caught him one more time. And I just said, I really enjoyed getting to know you. This was a really wonderful to spend some time with you. And he said, yeah, I enjoyed it too. And I said, and I will be praying for you. And he's like, well, thanks. You know, I don't know if he thought that was significant or what, but he said, I will be praying for you. And then it was over. And I, went, I got into the van, and I remember telling my wife, Oh, I thought I was going to get to pray with him. And I felt this great sense of, of disappointment inside myself. And I, oh, I wanted to get all the way. You know, I started with blessing, and I was spending time with him, and I met Tiny felt need. And then I wanted to get to the point where I could, I could pray with him. Because, you know, I don't know how it is with you and you with praying with other people. I think you start praying for people, right? Start with blessing. Start with praying for people. And then maybe the next step for you, this is if you have a longer time in a relationship, is that maybe you tell people that you're praying for them, right? Like when people say, oh man, you know, um, you know, I shared with you, or I told you the story about how things aren't good in this scenario in my life, and you say, yeah, you know, when you told me that, I really felt sad for you, or burdened, or whatever words you use, try to make it non-churchy, but you basically say, I, but I prayed for you. That's the thing I do. I pray for my own family, good things, and I pray good things for you, you know. But then the next step would be pray with them. And I was really hoping to get to that step. You know what? God's the, God's the Lord of the moment. And I've rewound it in my mind. Could I have got to praying with him? But I thought maybe all I was supposed to do was to tell him I am praying for him. And I don't know. I'll leave that up to God. But you know what? That's a change in me. That's a change in me. It used to be like, oh, I sort of hope I don't end up having to pray for this person, or I sort of hope it doesn't go there, or I felt more of an awkwardness or whatever. But you know what? When you, when you start with blessing, when you move on to realize, now I'm just going to listen, I'm going to spend time with this person, I'm going to let them uh, talk about their lives, and then you move to meeting felt needs. You know what? This not only works for that person to experience the gospel as good news, it also works for you too. It works for me. I suddenly go, listen, I'm, my position towards this person has changed. God is doing a work in my heart. I am really invested. I find myself more invested in people, even on off encounters, than I, am, than I was before. I want good for them. I take the steps to get to know them. I start, because I'm already invested, meeting their needs is a great joy. And then I hope for the opportunity to... Uh, to share Jesus with them. So 
when we talk about start with blessing, we maybe frame it at the beginning that we're hoping that because of this, your approach and the way you come to them will be a lot like Jesus' approach, right? What was Jesus' approach? Jesus came full of grace and truth. That's what John chapter 1 tells us. Jesus came full of grace and truth. And I think the order maybe matters in that one, right? People experience Jesus in his graciousness. He spent time with him. In fact, people criticize him for him. They call him a friend of sinners. Those are people you shouldn't spend time with. Those are people you should cancel out of your life, Jesus. No, he didn't. And so people knew with Jesus that he would never reject them. They knew that instinctively when Jesus spent time with people. They knew Jesus was good news to them already. And so when he proclaimed the kingdom of God and he proclaimed uh, that, that God, uh, all the good news about God's approach to them and that God had sent him so that people could be reconciled to God, well, that was just an extension of the good news they were already experiencing. They'd already experienced the grace so that when the truth came, it matched. So many times we're like, I want to just tell you the truth. And sometimes you might not have time and you just get to that a lot faster. It feels more like a cold call or something like that. But you know what? I really believe God wants to do a work in our lives so we, we are grace and truth. People experience us like they would experience Jesus. Acts 19.11, again with meeting needs and especially with an eye towards healing, says, God was doing extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul. Acts 19.11. So who was doing the miracles? God was. And who was God using? Paul. And that's what I hope for all of us, is that God, I think, wants to roll out in Moose Jaw and area, wherever you're from. He wants to do the miraculous. He wants to do significant power of God, things that can't be done any other way. But guess who he wants to use? He wants to use you. And so let's bless. Let's spend time. Let's meet needs that it may be practical, but let's not eliminate the miraculous. You know what? You might even have a practical miraculous combo. I've heard of somebody who they, during uh, the coronavirus season, their neighbor said, you know, I can't find anywhere this certain item on the shelves. And we can all guess what those items might have been, but there's lots of things missing in the grocery stores and the other stores in this last season. And someone said to uh, this friend who was a Christian, said, I can't find those on the shelf. And that person who'd been praying for blessing and spending time with them and waiting for them to express a felt need was all excited and went to the Lord and said, God, you know how that thing is not anywhere in this town on the shelves. And now, Lord, lead me, guide me. I want to find it for my friend. And as they prayed, they really had an impression to go to a certain store. They walked in, and a fresh supply of that exact item was on the shelf. And they took it back to this person, and then they told them. They told them. They said, look what I got for you. And you know what? I prayed that God would show me where it is, and I found it in such and such a store. Isn't that awesome? Now, here's a person who's experiencing the good news of getting the one item they desperately want. And someone's telling you, this is how it came to you, because God is so good and he loves you too. I want to pray with you as we end today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much uh, that you have been so kind to us. You've been so good to us. And Lord, because you are for us, you've made us a people for others. So Lord, I've got, I don't know how many days I've got left on this, this uh, spinning globe here. I don't know how long it's going to be. But it's clear to me that I already have heaven uh, and I have eternity with you. And I thank you for that promise and that I don't have to be afraid about uh, those things. But I've already got that. And so if you've left me here, it must be that you want other people to have that too. So Lord, lead me and guide me. And I pray for all the people who are listening to my voice that you lead and guide them too. Show them how to take the next baby step in this. Show them how to take the next step that they need to do to to walk in this uh, progression that you laid out for your first disciples? What does it look like to speak peace to people's lives and to, and, to, and to come with that, not just being words from their mouths, but that it's coming from their hearts because they've been already speaking that over people when, it's just, when they're just alone with you? And Lord, show us how to, how to not be in a hurry with people that we're speaking that, that peace and that blessing over. 
Lord, show us how to, uh, to linger with them and to listen. Not just to do all the talking, but to really listen. And then, Lord, show us how to meet needs when they come up. How to get excited about those opportunities to care for people. And to really adopt those people spiritually. To love them and to look out for their best interests. And Lord, give us the faith to pray. Give us the faith to pray. Lord, some of us are afraid. And uh, are, we're not, um, this isn't easy for us. But Lord, I pray that you would give us experiences and reassurances from you. That if we are faithful and if we do what we can do, we open up the door to what you can do. Lord, we are looking for great things from you. And we thank you that you've called us to be ambassadors for your kingdom in this world. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I just want to bless you and thank you for joining us today. And may God bless you this week as you put some of these principles into practice. Hey, we're so glad you joined us today. We hope you stay connected with us online on our website, Facebook, and YouTube throughout the week. If you want prayer right now, we have prayer teams standing by ready to pray with you. Call in or send us an email. If you're new, check out our website to learn more about us, but also go to hillcrestmj.com slash connect card and fill out that card. We'd love to get to know you. Most importantly, if you decided to become a follower of Jesus today, firstly, we are so excited for you, but secondly, would you tell someone? Whether that be someone close to you, someone at the church, or even call into our prayer teams right now. This is the most important decision you'll make in your lifetime, and we want to celebrate with you and help you navigate those next steps. Again, thanks for joining us. Stay connected with us online, and we'll see you next week.